Well, as we move into James 2, verses 14 through 26, we're going to explore a debate, or maybe a so-called debate between James and Paul, but it's really not a debate at all. Both are talking about saving faith, but just from a different perspective. You see, this is not a contradiction. It's actually complementary. It's going to explore what saving faith really looks like and what it does. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are talking about true faith. And many of you have probably heard that there has been a debate between the book of James and the theology of Paul. In fact, uh, it goes way back to the time of Luther, when Martin Luther, and Luther had his issues, but he was one of the fathers of the Reformation. Uh, Luther said something about the book of James that he thought it was basically an epistle or letter of straw. One of the reasons he came to that conclusion was because he saw a conflict between James and Paul. We're going to get into that in a minute. I think that conflict was largely reconciled as Martin Luther went on, and I think it's been reconciled as scholars and theologians have compared and contrasted the book of James with, for example, the book of Romans or Ephesians. And the issue is really this. Out of the Reformation came some sola doctrines. You may have heard them before. For example, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, Grace alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And that was really, those sola doctrines were a, a uh, cry for, to get back to the Bible, back to faith alone, grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. The way we get saved is through the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 says. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice it's God's grace. The channel by which we accept that grace is through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. And that, not of yourselves, it, this salvation is the gift of God. It is not as a result of works so that no one should boast. But I want you to keep reading. For we are his workmanship. It could be translated, we are God's work of art. We've been created or recreated in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved by grace through faith. But it doesn't stop there. Saving faith will produce good works. You can't really be saved and not bear fruit. It just doesn't exist. And let me just say to you that this debate that is going to come up between James and Paul is really not between James and Paul. It's between James and some teachers in the early Jewish church who may have heard what Paul said and were basically making excuses. Turn over to the book of James and we'll dig this out a little bit more. And here was the excuse if I'm saved by grace through faith, you know how people are, well, then that means I don't have to do anything, right? I mean, it's salvation by grace through faith. That's what Paul's been teaching. It's justification by faith. So 
This is what we do as human beings. So I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to serve. I don't have to give my money. I don't have to witness. But what is that? That's basically a person trying to use an excuse for doing nothing, getting a free gift and doing nothing with it. R. Kent Hughes put it this way. He calls it the light church. Have you heard about the light church? It's 24% fewer commitments. It's home of the 7.5% tithe. It's 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services, so you can get on with your regular day. It is, we have only eight commandments. We took two away from the ten. Your choice. We use three spiritual laws instead of four. It's everything you wanted in a church and less. The light church. And all around the United States of America. In fact, they're saying now some 80 to 85% of congregations in America are the light church. Get them in, get them out, fill up the pews, fill up the chairs, see you next week, count up the numbers, and that'll tell you how successful we've been. That's bogus. That's not Christianity. And that's what James is really challenging. He's saying, no, once you get saved by faith, there's something that God wants you to do. In fact, there's many things that God wants you to do. Would you pray with me? Father, as we enter into this Bible study, we enter into the Word of God. We don't want to be just merely hearers, as James has already told us. We want to be doers. And we don't do to get saved, but we work because we are saved. And I pray that you'd bring clarity to this issue and I pray that you'd bring illumination. And then I pray that you'd bring action for your glory. In Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Who's the debate really with and why? You know, this whole week as I've looked at this, I've really asked that question. Why is it even a debate? Shouldn't it be a normal thing that a Christian gets saved and then serves God? We would think so. So James in this section is going to get very practical and he's going to tell us what faith does. Many of you have read the book of Hebrews and you would remember that many times it's, it says by faith, by faith. Here's a quick uh, machine gun uh, example. By faith, Abel offered, Enoch walked, Noah prepared an ark. Abraham obeyed, going out. Moses refused, endured, considered, looked to the reward, left Egypt, kept the Passover, passed through the Red Sea, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. By faith, by faith, by faith. And so when James tackles this section, I don't think it's disconnected from the previous one, but he says these words. This is James 2, 14. He says, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Or New Living Translation says, can that kind of faith save anyone? Now in verse 14, and I will acknowledge that this is a tough passage when you take the whole New Testament and keep it in mind. But James says, if a man says he has faith. Everybody look at verse 14 in your Bible. It's a said faith. Now, if we walked around Corona or 
the area of Southern California, and we asked people, do you have faith? A lot of people would respond, yes. What would your follow-up question be? Faith in what? And some people might say, I have faith in God. And then you might ask, which God? Right? There is some precision here. Most of the ancient world would say they had faith in some God. But let's just say that you ask somebody out in the world, maybe you leave church, you're at a restaurant, and you say, hey, do you have faith? And they say yes, and they give you an orthodox definition of God. That is, they say they have faith in the Christian God. Is that sufficient? Well, it would depend on what you mean by faith. Because faith, we would all acknowledge, is only as good as the object in which it is placed But someone can say they have faith, but the question is, do they really? How many people have you met who say they're a believer, they're spiritual, but there's no visible fruit in their life that they're a Christian? Would you say that there's a lot of people like that out there? They would check the medical form, I'm a Christian. They would say, I grew up in a Christian home, but... For all intents and purposes, you look at their life during the week and you'd say, there's not a whole lot of fruit fruit in their life. Not fruit, fruit. (laughs) I just made up a word, fruit. It is a said faith. It is a verbal profession without any fruit behind it. So are Paul and James in conflict? Well, I would tell you that the source of the conflict is not Paul, but teachers who are around this first century church. And if you skip ahead to chapter three, verse one, it says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment, three, one. And then there's a whole argument about the tongue and being careful about what you speak. It may be that these are the ones that are having the debate with James. They're basically telling the congregation, once you get saved, you don't need to do anything. Because salvation by grace is a really cool thing. But if you don't have works, you have to question whether you have saving faith. So the argument here, as you're going to watch, is not necessarily just about practically helping people. It is about salvation. Read verse 14 again. It says, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith do what? Can it save him? So the essence of the argument is what scholars would call soteriological. What does that mean? It means that what James is talking about is not just a practical helping faith. He is talking about what is actually saving faith. Now, I took some classes over the years, and Craig Hawkins was my professor in many of them. And he would use three Latin words that have come down through the corridors of time. And they are notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Notitia is, if you're a note taker, N-O-T-I-T-I-A. Notitia is raw data, information. Ascensus, A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S, is to agree with the data, assent to it, intellectually agree. And then fiducia is a word that means trust. Notitia, ascensus, fiducia. So, example. 
Let's say that you went to WebMD and you were having some... Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. There's 27 products up at the store right now, ranging from things like the teaching on 666 from the book of Revelation, the seven seals from Revelation, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, the anatomy of a fall, how to avoid falling from 2 Samuel, and even teaching on the occult. Most recently, an interview with Frank Sontag about the New Age movement and his personal testimony. Hey, when you go to the store and you purchase a product, you partner with us to reach more people like you. So go to the store, walkintruth.com, click on the store, purchase a product of interest, buy it for a friend, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us to reach more people for the cause of Christ. We love you. We appreciate you. You can also give donations there at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on that store and partner with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. The essence of the argument is what scholars would call soteriological. What does that mean? It means that what James is talking about is not just a practical helping faith. He is talking about what is actually saving faith. Now, I took some classes over the years, and Craig Hawkins was my professor in many of them. And he would use three Latin words that have come down through the corridors of time. And they are notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Notitia is, if you're a note taker, N-O-T-I-T-I-A. Notitia is raw data, information. A census, A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S, is to agree with the data, assent to it, intellectually agree. And then fiducia is a word that means trust. Notitia, a census, fiducia. So, example. Let's say that you went to WebMD and you were having some um, symptoms and you began to do research on WebMD and all the 10 symptoms that you have physically, they're pointing to the same disease. And so you do all your research, maybe you get your hands on some medical journals and you realize every symptom you have is this disease. You got the data. And you've done now your research and you agree with the facts. You've got this disease. And let's say this disease is 100% fatal. But as you read on, you read about a Dr. Strunk in Germany. And Dr. Strunk in Germany has the antidote to your disease and your symptoms. And so you now do all the research on the antidote and you realize that people with your same symptoms with this terribly fatal disease are flying to Germany from all over the world. They're getting an injection from Dr. Strunk and they're healed. And you're convinced now. You've done your homework on the symptoms. You've done your homework on Dr. Strunk. And now you are convinced that if you get this injection, you're saved. You have the raw data. You agree that it's true. Please listen. But until you get on a plane and go to Germany and receive that injection from Dr. Strunk, you're still going to die. That's the difference between a said faith and a saving faith. You could have the data. You could agree that it's true. 
You could ask somebody on the street, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a historic figure? Yeah. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yeah. Do you believe he died on the cross for the sins of the world? Yep. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Mm. There are people out there who have the data, agree that it's true, but have not received the saving injection. Everybody with me? It's notitia ascensus fiducia. If you were to draw a line under notitia, under a census, you have to move from data to saving faith. Example, look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. That's the Hebrew Shema, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's Deuteronomy 6.4. You do well if you believe that. The demons also believe that. There are no atheist demons. They're all believers. Did you know that? All demons are believers. In fact, they're orthodox. They believe the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And they do better than a lot of people. They believe and they shudder. The Greek word for shudder is what a cat does when it's freaked out and bristles. <laughs> Hair goes up. The other day, my dog was sitting on my lap and my dog gets freaked out by certain things, noises, instruments, certain movements, and she was on my lap shaking. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with this dog? And something was kind of freaking her out. Demons believe that God is one and shudder, but they have no saving relationship with God. And they do better than a lot of people who say they believe there's a God, but they don't shudder. They don't fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and knowledge. And so it is absolutely vital that we understand James's argument. Properly interpreted, says Douglas Moo, Paul and James are united in their understanding of faith and works and their relationship to justification. The appearance of a conflict is created because they give two key words, faith and justify, different meaning, and because their arguments are advanced against different errors. You could say they are fighting different battles. They are standing back to back, but battling in different directions. Let me explain. Paul is battling people who think you're saved by works or the works of the law. And he's saying to them, you cannot be saved by the works of the law because the law reveals the problem of sin and exposes that we're all sinners in need of a savior. So Paul is battling people over here that say you're saved by keeping the law. James, back to back with Paul, is battling people who say, ah, you don't have to do anything. You can just make a verbal profession and you're good. And they are both battling, but in different directions. Does that make sense to everybody? And so this is what's going on. They're battling different foes to the gospel in different directions. But they both would acknowledge that faith and works are inseparably linked together. You can't have one without the other. Remember, James came to believe in his half-brother, Jesus, after the resurrection. He became a believer. And then the works of doing or living out his faith followed. 
So the faith mentioned in verse 14 is a faith that can't save because it's not a real faith. It's a said faith. So an important note. The difference between Paul and James consists in the sequence of works and conversion. Very important. Paul denies any efficacy or efficiency to pre-conversion works. Paul is saying, your works don't save you. You can't pile up enough works to get saved. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Everybody with me? So this is what he's talking about. Works are the outward expression of an inward faith. When we baptize someone, we say, okay, this baptism is about to be an outward expression of an inward reality that's already happened in the heart. In the same way, works are an outward expression of something that's already happened on the inside. Unless a person is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And works are the natural outgrowth of being born again of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have fruit. Are you going to have seasons when there's more fruit than other times? Certainly. Now James is going to give an illustration of what he's talking about. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. This may have been a real situation in the church. Just like we saw in the earlier section with a poor and rich person walking in. And one of you says to them. Go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? You have someone come to you and they say, I haven't eaten in three days, I'm starving. And you say, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, be filled. No, you buy them a turkey sandwich and then you pray for them. I was uh, going through a McDonald's drive through some years ago. And there was a man who was there saying, I will work for food. And he had that sign. So I went through the drive through and I bought two cheeseburger meals, a couple of cheeseburgers, fries, soda. And I pulled up to him and I said, here. And I tried to hand him the bag and he said, oh, I don't want that. I said, what do you mean? You're standing outside of McDonald's. I just bought you the number two happy, happy meal that should make you happy, right? What, what do you mean you don't want it? I don't want, I don't want that. I want money. So I rolled my window back up and I said, now there's four cheeseburgers for Pastor Michael. <laughs> what a day, what a glorious day. This is speaking of a legitimate need. A person who comes to you and says, look, I'm going to defer to making sure someone's fed, right? I'm not talking about their greeds. I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about a brother or sister who walked in here and said, I haven't eaten in a couple days. I'm in a bad way. And they confess to us, what are we going to do? We're going to make sure they have something to eat. And then we'll talk about how they got there and what we can do about it. But what if they walked in and they came to the front for a prayer, and they said, I haven't eaten in two or three days. And I said, be warm, be filled. Lots of luck to you. Shalom. Hey, have a good day. And they walk out. Right? What if it were you, and you hadn't eaten in two to three days, and someone said, be warm, be filled. Maybe they even prayed for you. Hey, we appreciate prayer, but I really need something to eat. 
That's what Paul, or excuse me, James is talking about. Flip over to 1 John, just a little bit to your right. A few pages to your right. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. I'm going to read from the NIV um, because it's just so beautiful the way this is. And it says, this is how we know, 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone, 1 John 3, 17, has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? How could he have warm words, but cold deeds, if you will? Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? Actions and truth. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.